Welcome back, everyone. Breaks are, are wonderful, aren't they? <laughs> so I will not talk about the wonder of breaks this morning or this afternoon, evening, wherever you are. But I want to continue with the exploration that I've been having both in my own practice and sharing with uh, people on these Wednesday mornings of the question of how to deepen one's practice uh, during the pandemic. And I've been understanding uh, what I mean by practice quite broadly, and particularly pointing to three areas of practice. One, uh, one's formal practice, and deepening the formal practice might mean having a regular practice where we didn't have one previously, or increasing the level of practice or the quality of the practice. The second area is related to deepening our sense of daily life practice, which could mean giving more emphasis to sustaining awareness or mindfulness of the body or uh, attention to one's mind in the flow of the day and deepening that. And then the, the third area of practice being our sense of our work in the world, our service, our activism, you know, whichever of those you find yourself connected with and bringing qualities of our skillful practice, watching our minds being skillful and wise in our actions and so forth, bringing that into this wider sphere. So a broad sense of practice. And we've also looked in a number of the weeks at particular, particularly central ways to deepen our practice. So I've emphasized, for example, mindfulness of the body very, very central, can be a way to deepen our, <clears throat> our formal practice, <clears throat> but really a major way to deepen our everyday practice. If we can have that sense of mindfulness of the body during the flow of the day, whatever, washing the dishes, being in the, the garden, being with children, whatever it is, it's a, it's a major way to deepen our practice, particularly in a culture which, uh, to a large extent and increasingly, is more uh, cognitive, more verbal, cerebral, virtual. Mindfulness of the body, a crucial practice. I also gave some focus on attending to reactivity when reactivity appears in our experience, the tendency is to somewhat uh, compulsively, automatically, relatively unconsciously push away or grab hold. Uh, the grasping, the pushing away can occur in all sorts of manners through, again, through being judgmental, through blaming oneself or others, through uh, verbal means, through uh, expressions in the body, and so forth, through 
grasping at comforts, at all sorts of things. So that a very fundamental area where we can attend and attending to uh, reactivity, powerful way to deepen our daily life practice. Also gave some attention to working with intentions and pausing, just stopping the momentum of busyness that's there for many of us at times. And so working with intentions, pausing, uh, very, very central. Last time, I started into a new area, which is looking at our speech and communication as a fundamental area of practice. It's one that was emphasized traditionally, so we have what we sometimes call wise speech or right speech, was one of the eight factors of the Noble Eightfold Path 2,600 years ago. And there are some guidelines. It's not as emphasized, at least in the text we have, as some of the other factors, but it is there traditionally. And given the great amount of communication we have in our lives, whether through talking or through electronic communication, attending to our speech and communication and having it be more and more a practice is a tremendous way to deepen our practice in all three of these areas, right? Particularly the, the second and third, that if we can have our speech be conscious practice, as I sometimes mention, complaining about only having 20 minutes for practice is no longer a valid complaint, right? <laughs> Rather that we can... Uh, have five or 10 hours of practice a day. So that's the promise, that's, that's what's possible. And, and also obviously a crucial practice because so much occurs in our speech. Of course, in our speech, it's uh, faster moving and more complex than when we just sit with our own minds generally. And things can happen very quickly. You know, uh, one or two words can change us from a calm, peaceful meditation practitioner into a very, what should I say, um, uh, what seems to many, including ourselves, like a complete non-practitioner. It's <laughs> one way to say it, right? Or can, can let us feel, as is sometimes said, under stress, we regress. The, the, the late spiritual teacher Ramdas said that when he was with his family, often decades of spiritual practice would go out the window in a moment. Anyone recognize that at times? <laughs> so, uh, so very crucial area. Last week, we looked at what I'm calling one of the three foundations of wise speech practice, and that's the practice of empathy. Uh, the other two foundations, and I hope to get to the second foundation in some depth today. We'll look at empathy and also look at the second foundation, what I'm calling, this is, this is my own terminology, uh, and this is the list of the traditional ethical guidelines for right speech or wise speech. 
And then what I'm calling the third foundation is the capacity to be mindful, to be present, to be aware in the midst of speaking and listening. Those are the three areas which I think are our starting points for developing skillful speech. And empathy is a beautiful practice. We explored it some last time. It's so crucial. It's really, I think, fundamental because, again, I like to distinguish between empathy as an innate capacity, which is there in the brain, to the, the capacity to tune in to others' experience. Uh, and uh, last time I particularly focused on f uh, tuning in to uh, the emotions here of another person and also what matters. That corresponds to two of the three forms of empathy that uh, neuroscientists tell us about from their research, that there are actually three parts of the brain which uh, help us be empathic. Again, it's an innate capacity. There's the tuning in emotionally. There's also the tuning in a little more cognitively. So we get what some, what the meaning is for someone. We have a sense of what maybe is the value or what's important for the person. Those are the two areas I'm focusing on. There's also the somatic dimension of empathy where we uh, have uh, what the neuroscientists call the mirror neurons, where when we actually see someone walking, there are little mirror neurons in our brain which have images of us walking. You know, generally beneath the level of consciousness, but there's a way that we're, we tune into others' experience that's uh, pretty amazing. Um, and so, now, I also spoke last time of how I have found it important to distinguish between empathy as an innate capacity and empathy as a deliberate practice to connect with someone empathically and to understand. And I, for me, that's an important distinction because, because empathy is innate, it means that everyone has some capacity for empathy unless there's a damage to the brain, which there sometimes is, sometimes connected with some uh, forms of uh, what sometimes called mental illness, some forms of empathy are lacking. But generally, people have empathy, even a psychopath has empathy. But that people can be empathic and, as it were, misuse the information or use the information about someone's inner experience for manipulative purposes, right? We can generally look at the world of politics and see that happening a lot, right? That people can know something about the experience of others, but they use that information for their own purposes, right? And so because, in that sense, empathy can be there for the purpose of connection and understanding, or manipulation. I like to distinguish the innate capacity, which can go in either of those two directions, from empathy as a deliberate practice to be able to uh, understand and connect. And it really gives us a primary focus for our speech and communication, that our our deeper purpose is to have empathic connection 
with another as a deliberate intention so that we our aim of our communication, even maybe when we're just exchanging information, we can have that deeper intention to connect and understand and have that as the framework, even when our communication is operating maybe even more technically or just trying to get information and so forth. So I think that that sense of empathy gives a beautiful framing for all of our speech and communication. So last time we did a practice, which I'll, I'll do again, which uh, is based on some of the models that we get from uh, nonviolent communication, which is a discipline, a speech and communication discipline. And I'm going to use that uh, approach rather lightly here. And this is a, an approach to empathy that I've developed uh, along, especially with uh, Oren J. Sofer, who is a colleague uh, who teaches on speech and communication a lot. And so this practice, in this practice, we learn to tune in to both the emotions and what matters. And Christina, could we have that first image right now? So maybe you can scroll up a little bit so we, we don't need to see the title. And we can see that this is, uh, this is something that you can get online. But this is a list of different emotions. And it helps us to be a little more, as it were, emotionally intelligent. If you, you know, if you're training, you can, uh, you know, can work with this. Many of us just know a few emotions. So to be a little more, as it were, articulate, to know all the different, uh, or some of the different uh, expressions of being peaceful or uh, angry or mad or sad or playful is helpful. And so if you're training, you might actually have this kind of list and look at it uh, as you uh, practice being empathic. And then a second list is for what in uh, nonviolent communication are called needs. We can go to the second image right now. And this is uh, needs. Uh, I like to use the language of call these values or what matters. And these are taken to be always valuable. There's autonomy, freedom, and so forth. There's honesty, authenticity, integrity, peace, having a sense of connection, and so forth. And these, uh, it's helpful to see them as always valuable and to make a distinction between what matters for a person or the needs and the strategies that someone uses to try to get what one wants or to meet the needs or to, to uh, try to get what matters. So, uh, you know, a very easy example would be an alcoholic has a genuine need for peace but uses, let's say, uh, typically unskillful strategies, right? Or I may have uh, an important need as the uh, convener of a meeting to have efficiency in my meeting. Valuable, uh, valuable need, something valuable for an organization. And I might use the strategy of being overly controlling. Right? That might be my strategy. And so does that make some sense? So I think we can go we can go back to the whole group now. And so 
very important because what's going to help with empathy is to tune into what matters and not very easy, but to distinguish at times between what matters for someone and the strategy that is driving you nuts, <laughs> right? Not easy, right? Not easy at all, right? Because we get so fixated on what is problematic. But can you see how this could be the basis for even connecting with someone with who's uh, uh, done something that you don't like, right? Not easy, but this would be the basis for tuning in. Um, and often it's the strategy that we really find problematic and the need for what matters, again, is defined as always being valuable, right? And the, you know, in the system of nonviolent communication, it's actually said that all actions are trying to find genuine, meet genuine needs but the strategies can be extremely unskillful and uh, even horrific, right? So that being said, we'll do another, we'll do two exercises. We'll, we'll do one again where um, I'm going to speak for two minutes and you're going to be empathic towards me. Okay? And so... I'm going to uh, be very brief. This is something you could do with a friend or a partner or family member. One of you speaks for two minutes. The other one tunes in empathically according to those two dimensions. What are, and so I want you to listen for my emotions. What are my emotions? And just come up with two or three of them. And then what matters to me? And I don't know what I'm going to say at the moment, but I'm going to talk about something that's meaningful to me. So when you do the exercise, just find something of a kind of ordinary, ordinary experience. Last time I talked about my garden. You know, and okay, so here goes. Ready? Okay, set your intention to tune in to my emotions and what matters to me. And find just two or three of each of them. If you want to take notes, that's fine. Okay? Okay, on uh, Saturday, I was part of a, a day-long offering, uh, not through Spirit Rock, through the Marin Sangha, in which we looked at climate issues. You know, and, a lot, and the teachers were all meditation teachers in some way. One of them, uh, named Kriti, she's a climate scientist as well as a Zen teacher. And so we had a great gathering. We had 300 people, really great. To be part of the gathering, one had to commit to action. Wonderful. You know, people had to commit to act action, even if it was small. And so we had wonderful uh, presentations. There were uh, breakout rooms with, uh, during for, for about an hour with different activists from different groups. And, uh, you know, it was mostly uplifting. It was also, you know, uh, Kriti showed some slides and she was distinguishing and asking the question, is it too late? And she was saying no. And she pointed to the different ecological issues or climate issues. And she said, in some places it is too late. So I found out, I think I wasn't so clear, but the uh, Arctic ice sheet, um, it's gone. It's really, it's, uh, it's, it's gone beyond the tipping point. Most of the world, not, not so. So... There's a lot there. Okay, cut. Okay. Uh, 
and enter in your chat now, we'll do it one at a time, what were some of the emotions that you noticed? And Christina, you can read the from the chat. Just name one emotion and put it in the chat. And then we'll read, we'll read maybe seven or eight of them. Concern, sadness, hopeful, excitement, fear, sadness, celebration, grief, proud. Wow. Okay. Okay, so um, empathy, was that hard? Everyone was accurate. Again, as I mentioned last time, one of the great things about empathy is that you're noticing things which I'm not aware of, and you bring them to my, you bring them to my attention. Okay, in terms of what matters, this is involved, can involve a little more interpretation. Emotions we often get almost seems like somewhat directly. What are, what are some of the things that mattered for me? Just name them again in a word or two. Safety connection, commitment to action, knowledge, community, that we understand, purpose, learning, presence. Oh, yeah. That's great. Okay, so I feel empathically met. You know, my day is made. I'm joking a little bit, but actually, when we reflect, uh, being heard, understood, knowing that we matter in a sense is uh, perhaps what we most want in life. You know, I, there, let me read something that I found. Uh, this is from uh, Mickey Cashtan, who's part of the Bay Area group of trainers in nonviolent communication. When people feel fully heard, when they know they matter, they are more likely to be open to hearing from others. So very simple. Again, we many reasons that empathy gets blocked, but if we can open to it, it's a powerful, beautiful practice. Okay. And so second exercise now, uh, this is where we bring in the piece of paper. Okay. Or you can again do it electronically. So I have a piece of paper and I'll show you, and you want to divide it into four quadrants. Can you see uh, Can you see a little bit how that's divided into four quadrants? So do something like that. Was, Christina, were people able to see? Could you see the lines on my sheet of paper? Uh, just divide it in four. Yeah, just divide it in four. Okay, we got it. This is not rocket science. Okay. <laughs> rocket science comes later. <laughs> uh, okay. So I want you to think of a situation of challenge with another person where there's some difficulty or rub or edge, but on a scale of one to 10, it's not the most difficult one. It's maybe, uh, four or five or six. So this could be something, maybe you have someone you work with and it's just some, something, sometimes things don't go quite right. Okay. Think of that, think of a situation in which you had uh, a rub or a challenge in the middle area of difficulty, four or five or six. Okay. And a particular discrete situation, maybe something that just happened, took a, a minute or something, or 
maybe longer. Okay, raise your hand if you are think have thought of some a situation. Okay. Okay, so here's the exercise. What I'd like everyone to do, there are four quadrants. The two left quadrants are you. You can put at the top me. Meaning you, not Donald. Okay. Okay. And so put me, and then on the, the two right-hand quadrants are the other person. And then just take about three or four minutes and fill out the quadrants. The upper quadrant are going to be emotions. The lower quadrant's going to be what matters. So see what are my emotions in this, in this challenging moment or situation. What are the other person's emotions? And just name one or two. You don't not to be later you could do it more comprehensively. And then what are my uh, or what matters for me? One or two things. What matters for the other person? Okay, do that right now. We'll take about maybe three or four minutes. Do it pretty uh, again, just one or two in each area. Take about another minute or so. And if you've finished, uh, reflect on anything that you've learned from the exercise.
any uh, observations? And I'll invite maybe two or three people to speak briefly. You can press the raised hands uh, button under participants is the best thing. You could also send something in a chat, but we'll just take uh, uh, two or three people just to be, be on the brief side, maybe, you know, just a few thoughts. Anyone like to speak? It looks like uh, Judy. Okay, uh, go ahead. I, <clears throat> I encounter somebody regularly that uh, is a business owner. Actually, it's the, the uh, gym where I work out outside. Yeah. And she doesn't wear a mask um, indoors. And I could not, I could not for the life of me. Go ahead. We're not hearing you now, Judy. Judy, you might be frozen or we're not hearing you. So maybe we can come back uh, to you. Something I think is happening with the video connection. Sorry, I think you were going to say that I imagine it was hard to get a sense of where this person was coming from. Maybe one other person. We come back to Judy. Who's next, Christina? Dr. Christine. Okay. Hi there. I brought to mind a, a conversation with a friend, good friend, um, in which I was presenting an issue for myself, and I was feeling frustrated with her response. And when I tried to fill this out, I was surprised that I, I feel like I understood what mattered to her, but I really had no idea what emotions oh. were in mind for her. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, uh, it's very, that's very interesting. And again, this is an exercise just to see what's there. So that could be, uh, maybe you could work on that actually, to, to have a sense, you know, uh, sometimes we don't know the emotions simply from what's appearing. So sometimes we have to make guesses, but uh, so if you had to guess, uh, what, would, what would it be? Well, let me start with what I know. And what I know is that I, she's, she's either trying to be right or helpful. Yeah. Okay. And, and what, and what matters for her? That's what I'm saying. That she, I think what she was saying is that she wanted to, I think what mattered to her is that she either wanted to be right in her response to me. Okay. Or she was wanting to be helpful. Okay. Um, so again, um, if we were doing this in detail, we would we would uh, probably would have studied this list of needs because being right may not be an authentic need. Going for the truth might be, right? But okay. simply being right, but being helpful would be, or helpfulness, I think, would be a more genuine need. So, uh, okay. yeah. So, so that's that's what we as we do this, we try to get a sense of what's a uh, kind of a gen what matters 
in the sense of it being a genuine sort of universal need, right? Well, then if that, if I accept that, if that is right, that she, if that feels right to me, and it does, um, then if she wants to be helpful, she probably wants to be close. She wants to have a connection with me. Yeah. Yeah, So her emotions are one of... um, Concern, uh, maybe concern or friendliness, something like that. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. So sometimes, yeah, this isn't always easy, right? Yeah. And uh, when we do the retreats, before we get to the difficult circumstances, we train for four days in the basics. Here we train for five minutes. But so, so we want to stay with that. Maybe one more. And I don't know, is Judy? Have a Colleen. better connection? Okay, is it... Is it There's Co- Colleen. Colleen, maybe last one, yeah. Okay, so I have um, a Facebook account, and a person that I know, a friend, um, posted a pro, um, he who shall not be named post, and um, my response, in my exercise was to recognize that she has fear and loneliness because part of it part she, of the that she was, has what raise your hand if you agree with me that uh, fear and um, loneliness perhaps okay um, as a as a as emotions because she, part of the post was you know respond with a yahoo if you know if you agree which of course I did not and um, um, and then her her uh, Matt, what matters to her is protection mm-hmm. and connection. And connection, yeah. So, and did having that sense of what matters lead you to soften a little bit in your relation to her? So, what I learned from it, I wrote down that her solution to fear uh, brings fear out in me. So, my response to her. Um, her wanting to this connection and support was to feel fear, feel fear, feel fearful about that, you know. So it was just it was cascading. And that would the be the, that would be the strategy, right? Uh-huh. That, but what matters to her is something that's uh, uh, is valuable, is valid in itself. I see. So it's, I see. it's the strategy that's the problem. Right. And that and that permits the possibility of empathy. Right. Not easy. Again, we want we want to practice empathy first where it's easiest. And but I wanted to give you a taste because sometimes sometimes what we can find, and maybe I'll ask for a show of hands, sometimes we can find that um, I and the person I'm having a challenge with often have the exact same emotions and want the same things. Does anyone, did anyone find that? That's very interesting, right? Like, uh, and, and again, the, the issues is typically going to be that the strategies are problematic. Okay. So again, we probably could stay a lot more here and do uh, many, many weeks on empathy. I wanted to bring in just a little bit about the, the ethical guidelines and to add, add this piece and then we'll have some larger discussion. I think it really 
is complementary to the foundation of empathy. If we think of the core intention as being to connect and understand and having that be increasingly what our motivation is and what guides us in our speech and communication, the ethical guidelines can really help in a similar way and spell things out a little bit more. And these are given by the Buddha, and there are four of them. And I think I'll at least start on them. They're, uh, the, this is, the, in my reading, probably the main resource for our speech practice, which is really seeing uh, a group of four guidelines which help us in uh, both guiding our speech and communication and also seeing when our speech and communication falls short and making possible a, an inner looking. So the four guidelines are being truthful, being helpful, coming from a, a good heart, which can coexist with being very firm, saying no, and so forth. And then fourthly, uh, timing and the appropriateness of one's communication. And according to these guidelines, one has to have all four of them working together for a particular communication to be skillful. And so it's valuable to to consider each of them. This, this is a, a passage from, from the Buddha, so from 2,600 years ago. And he mentions here five factors, and I'm, I think if you listen carefully, you can hear the four I mentioned, and I think two different expressions of uh, more the heartfelt quality of communication. The Buddha, a statement endowed with five factors is well-spoken, not ill-spoken. It is blameless and unfaulted by knowledgeable and wise people. Which five? So listen for the five. It is spoken at the right time. It is spoken in truth. So there we have the last one I mentioned, time, uh, speaking in a timely way, and the first one being truthful. It is spoken at the right time. It is spoken in truth. It is spoken affectionately. It is spoken beneficially. It is spoken with a mind of goodwill. So I'm sort of bringing together the affectionate speech and the goodwill and calling that coming from a basically a kind and loving heart. And then also the also mentioned was the helpfulness. So again, these can guide our speaking. And especially we can, we could go into a discussion wanting to bring forth those particular qualities. And we can, so I can, before a challenging discussion, I can bring those qualities to mind. Truthful, helpful, good heart, the right time. You know, I once worked with a group with these uh, guidelines for six months. And we actually worked with uh, each of the individual guidelines one month at a time. And then we brought them all together for two months. And at that time, I put up something right near my telephone. 
Uh, at that time, the telephones were not as mobile. <laughs> and I put something up, and it, uh, I basically had the four guidelines on the wall. Every time the telephone rang, I would say, truthful, helpful, good heart, good timing, hello. And that's, that's a way to practice with them, you know. Another time, some, one of the people in the group who, who had a difficult interactions with her teenage daughter, she put the guidelines on her hand, looking at them before every difficult conversation. And so different ways to work with them. So we can use them to really guide our speaking. And again, we can also use them to uh, inquire when we notice ourselves uh, falling short. So for example, I might notice that I'm not being entirely truthful. I'm in a conversation and I'm exaggerating something for the self of self-image. Anyone ever done that? About one-third of the people here, okay, raise their hand. <laughs> um, and so, um, but I might notice that if I'm working with the guidelines, I might then look internally, what's going on? What's going on? Oh, I'm a little insecure. I want to look better. You know, it could be something like that. And so the guidelines can also be a starting point for mindfulness. So a little bit about each of the four, and then we'll then I'll open things up. So truthfulness is really crucial, and we may not very much uh, tell lies. Some of us may, or we may occasionally do them. But and so what we probably for most of us this is especially looking at the ways that we're not entirely truthful. That there might be exaggerations or half-truths, or omissions, or not going into some area, you know, or deliberately avoiding something. And so again, we can look into what's my motivation when I fall short. And, you know, it's helpful, I think, to recall why being truthful is so, so important. There really can't be trust between people without truthfulness, right? Uh, when there's not an assumption of truthfulness, everything becomes manipulation and having, having an effect. You know, we can, again, see that in looking at national politics, you know, where there's truthfulness seems like sometimes like a forgotten value, right? And it's all about getting what one, want, one wants. So we can look at that. And, you know, if we look in ourselves when we, when we exaggerate or something, or even don't tell the truth, we can also say, if we're interested in the truth, but we don't always tell the truth, sometimes it's tremendous energy just to remember, what did I say to this person, right? How can I... Uh, prop up what I said, which wasn't entirely truthful. So it's, there's something about telling the truth which is tremendously simplifying to our lives. You know, the, it, the, the Buddha talked about the bliss of blamelessness being connected with really following ethical guidelines. And, uh, you know, and 
The second guideline is helpfulness. And again, what's crucial is that all four of them have to go together. I can be truthful very often, but not helpful. We sometimes call that dumping, right? Have you, has anyone ever been truthful with the intent to harm someone else? Anyone? Show of hands? Okay. 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 This is not being recorded. The video is not being recorded. Don't worry. Okay. So, um, and so very crucial that all the factors have to be together for skillful speech. And in fact, we could have three of them together. We could be completely truthful, be really helpful, come out of a beautiful heart. And our time, if our timing is off, the whole situation could be a mess. Right? It's interesting, isn't it? Right? And so we want to be helpful and watch the times when we're not helpful. Notice when we may uh, be saying something negative with, with the motivation to be helpful or to connect, not there at all. Again, we want to approach this knowing that in all of us, these tendencies can be there. So it's not like we're looking to be perfect or judging ourselves. This is a practice. We notice where we fall short. It's like every practice. We're not mindful all the time, but we notice when we're not mindful. And as we develop, the qualities get stronger. We want to also, as much as possible, and this is maybe a harder one, come from a kind heart. Again, even when we're saying no, setting a boundary, saying that's not okay, that's not easy. You know, people who've been parents know that one very well. How can I say that's not okay to a child, but come out of a loving heart? How can we do that with friends? How can we do that politically, right? I was thinking of uh, uh, the late Congressman John Lewis, who said, we have to just have love all the time. Our, 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 everything we do in the world has to be love in action. And he quoted what uh, Dr. King said once, some people, he said, you got to love them to hell. <laughs> right? And so, uh, you know, so this is how do we come out of a kind heart? And again, I think we develop with all these, including the empathy practice, first where it's easiest. Don't go to the hardest situations first in your training. Sometimes the hard situations are there, don't have a choice, right? So train where the situation is easiest. You know, try to have that kindness become more and more second nature. Really crucial. And then the last one, again, is having good timing, having the appropriateness of our speech. And again, I think there are two dimensions. One is asking, is this speech really appropriate? Am I just having sort of idle speech or um, just what, what we call sometimes yada, 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 right? And do I really want to be speaking like this? And sometimes the answer might be yes, and sometimes no. That's part of this last criterion, appropriateness. And it's also, especially to ask, is this a good time? Particularly when there's something difficult to communicate, we want to ask, is this a good time to speak about this? And we might ask that in terms of, what's my inner state? Am I in a place where I can speak in a non-reactive way about the difficulty? 
how is the other person, right? So we want to keep on asking, is this a good time? Is this a good time to be uh, speaking into it? And generally, if I'm reactive or the other person's reactive, it's often not a good time. So very crucial, goes along with all the others. And so again, we can use these practices uh, as intentions before we speak. We can put them on our wall, in our refrigerator. I was once uh, in a teaching group where we were having some communication difficulties and uh, people in the group agreed to work with these as guidelines for the group. And it really made a difference. You can have this as a basis for, you know, an online chat. Say, you're welcome to be in the chat as long as you're truthful, helpful, come out of a good heart, and have good timing. Or at least you have that as your practice, right? So we can work with it in all sorts of ways. And, you know, ultimately, we can bring that into groups, into institutions, and eventually into government. Okay, what would it be like if wise speech was the guideline for the federal government? Okay. Anyway, I'll end with that question. <laughs> okay, so let me open it up now just to have people, if you want to share something more from the exercises or ask a question either about, I've gone through these first two foundations, empathy, which particularly helps us to have the motivation to connect, to understand, and then these guidelines, which help get into some specific ways that we can guide ourselves and notice when we fall a little bit short. So any comments, questions, uh, sharing? Wendy, I see your hand up. I'm not sure if it's for now or it was from the past. Yeah, Wendy, do you want to, want to speak? Okay, Wendy. Okay, maybe we go to the next one. I think mine was from the past, if you're talking to me. Okay, okay. thanks, Wendy. Thank you, thank you. Hey. Looks like there is something on the chat from... Do you want to... Someone has written, I have someone who doesn't want to speak since about 25 years. That was the statement. So is this, uh, is this meaning someone who's just uh, uh, refused communication for a long time because of something? Is that, is that a correct understanding? Whoever, whoever wrote that? Okay, I'll assume that it is. Yeah. Um, I sometimes use a model for wise speech practice, which is that, uh, looks like there's a little more, can you, a little more from That's, that person? That says only about a certain topic. Well, so about, they're about a certain topic. avoiding a certain topic, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I use a model sometimes in communication, which is that ideal, the ideal of communication has five different ways to practice. Number one, I do my own inner work with whatever's there for me, challenging and so forth. I have mindfulness, I cultivate inner qualities. 
I practice skillful speech. Then the third and fourth are the other person doing the same, uh, being willing to um, being willing to do inner work and do uh, do skillful speech. And then fifthly, we collaborate together. That could be sort of the ideal speech situation with another person. And often, um, those some of those five are not going to happen, right? And we can always do number one and two, you know, for myself. It sounds like this situation is something where a person doesn't want to talk about a particular area, but there's communication going on otherwise. And so I think, uh, I think it's, it's a difficult situation. And again, there's a lot I don't know about the context, but without knowing more about the context, I would say a few things. One is that we could do something like the empathy map with the four quadrants that we just did towards that person and get a sense, what do we imagine is going on for this person or has been going on? That could be helpful. In other words, practice empathy. You can practice empathy towards people without whom you don't have communication. You can practice empathy towards public figures using something like that. We call that an empathy map when you have the four quadrants. So you can do that. You can say, what must be going on for this person? Let me be empathic. That's one thing. You could also, um, might, might or might not help, uh, just communicate, you know, if you haven't already, I would love to talk about that in a really, uh, you know, uh, about that area sometime if you would ever be willing, and I want to do it in a way that felt safe for both of us, something like that. And, you know, in that, given the context, that is just stating your, your wish. And it might be ignored for five years, right? But it could, it can sometimes be helpful, especially when you say in a way which is safe for both of us. So, and then if it's not going to happen, um, if there are other kinds of communications, you can just try to be very careful and empathic in the communications you do have. And maybe something changes over time in the relationship. You know, maybe you have to see. So we have, uh, is it, uh, who's the next one, Christina? Then we have Anne B. Would you like to unmute? Yeah. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. All right. Um, I guess I'm going to switch to a gallery view because I only see. Okay. Yeah. yeah so, you don't, that's hard just to see oneself. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I found it very interesting doing the quadrants. Yeah. Um, that um, just yesterday a situation happened where I was in a, a Zoom chat with three other people and um, um, I was frustrated, irritated, annoyed um, by one of the people who, um, doesn't matter the details. I couldn't figure, I think her emotions concern, um, maybe desire to be helpful. And then 
in what matters, I had the, what mattered to me was to be heard and understood, to be seen, to express myself and and to feel I matter. And for her to be helpful, to have a sense of purpose and to feel that she matters. So I really saw that what you said, um, that, you know, being heard, understood, knowing that we matter, you said is perhaps what we all want most in life. That's right. Yeah. And so, you know, it was just like, boom, that's it. That, that we both wanted the same thing. Wanted the same thing. And that could be the basis for maybe more connected communications in the future. Right. And, and right. just one can, would be okay to give one slight suggestion for you based on what you said. Yeah. Are you open to hearing that? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, when, we, when we talk about emotions, it can be skillful just to give the emotions and um, be careful of our language so that we don't imply that the other person causes our emotions. And there was a little bit of that when you said I was irritated by the other person. We might just say uh, I was irritated when that when she said that. Right? So it was a fine point. Does that make some sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, great. Yeah, because... Generally speaking, we in our language, we often say it much more bluntly. We say, uh, you made me angry, or you did this or that. And we really want to say, see that other people can trigger our emotions, but the causality is more complex, right? That, uh, you know, if, because uh, there are plenty of situations where people could do the same thing and the emotions wouldn't occur. So it involves inner factors as well. Great. Right. Thank you so much, uh, Anne. Donald, there is a question in the chat. Uh, when do we know the time of letting the, the people go? What's the limit of empathy? When do we know the... Uh, the time is, is to let someone go. And letting someone go means, what do you think that means? To, to not have any more communication? Uh, that's what it, it seems to me. Oh, yeah, it's going to depend a lot on the context. Um, um, Confirmed, yes, it is. When is the time to let someone go? Yeah, the time to let someone go. Um, What I'm finding when I look inside, it might be hard to give a generalization about that, but I think that it's... uh, um, I think it's helpful to try to be sometimes if okay, I'm thinking a few thoughts at once if if one has been as skillful as possible and maybe it's going nowhere, that might be a time to let go, at least temporarily, but it's gonna depend a lot on the relationship, right? You know, if it's a family member, uh letting go is doesn't occur in the same way as a coworker, right? Or uh, someone who just, uh, you know, uh, someone who's a friend who you have known for six months, right? So it's going to be very different depending on the context. Uh, But I think if you've made the effort and it doesn't seem to be working, a certain kind of letting go would be, could be appropriate. You know, it might be 
to say, I won't push this anymore with my family member, you know, and just uh, try to have connection where I can. So I hope that's helpful. It's, uh, uh, but it is sometimes appropriate just to uh, let go and not keep on going. Probably, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of it would be about really tuning into what's there for you. And if, and if there is a letting go, to, you can almost like honor uh, sadness or grief if, there's the, if it's there. And find, you know, even give yourself some self-empathy for the sadness. I think that's, that's important if there's a letting go. Because one thing I didn't mention, you could do something like what we just did with oneself. You know, generally, it's if we can find empathy from another person, that probably is first choice. But there are times when that doesn't occur, or it's not the right moment, or maybe it's three in the morning, or whatever. And you can do empathy towards yourself in a, in a parallel way that we did. You know, just really imagine the situation and say, what am I feeling? Oh, and, and then especially go to what matters for me. Oh, working out conflicts really matters for me or reconciliation really matters for me and it's not happening and I'm really sad, you know, and, you know, it's, it's hard. Something like that to really, uh, in a way, have empathy and compassion for oneself at times. Maybe one more if there is one. Anyone else? Looks like, is it Angel? Angel. Yeah. Last one. Hi. Hi, Angel. Angel, we can't hear you. If you have anything open um, other than the Zoom room, you might want to turn that off or get closer to your... Um, your connection box. Okay. Oh, there you go. That's Keep speaking. Little, that's a little better. Can you hear me now? A little bit better. Okay. Um, thank you. No, now, now you're good. It's yeah. building on the... Oh, okay, great. Um, yeah, Wi-Fi isn't great, so I think turning the video off helps. But uh, building on the last question of letting go... In a situation where um, I don't know if it's unrequited love or if the uh, this person that I had a romantic relationship with who lives on the other side of the country and I no longer have that and he's been very interested in continuing a friendship and I think he's a great person and, and the rest of it, but when we talk... I, I find it hard not to feel sad that we're not pursuing a romantic relationship. And no. so on the letting go front, I've been considering, you know, just in a very loving way, communicating that for my own, you know, health, mental health, the rest of it. You know, it's better for me if we don't talk. And then there's another part of me that says, well, just engage when I'm in alignment and I'm feeling very, you know, positive and loving and fully myself and, and the rest of it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not sure how best to manage that. Yeah. That's a, that's a, a deep one, isn't it? Um, yeah. 
one thing that occurs to me was something that I, I have friends who are couples therapists, and they talk about the importance of um, having some of the, almost like the, uh, the bonds between people when there's been a, an ending of a relationship. They say when they recommend actually having a period of about six months without contact so that the, you know, something like the bonds can dissolve if it's clear that the relationship isn't occurring. And if, yeah. if one doesn't do that, then that the longing can still be there. But it, I, I imagine that's going to be very individual as to how long it takes. Does that, does that resonate some, um, Angel? Yeah, it does. And this has been going on for a few years. A few years, okay. So, yeah, so yeah. I did I did something like that, and, and it definitely helped. And then, you know, when we re-engaged, uh, you know, it just kind of, it, 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 I obviously didn't completely cut the cord. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And is the person single? No, that's the problem. Um, <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, he's he's married and he's living in New York, and okay. it's been years that they have said that you know that they're separating and and they haven't done that. So, oh, that they've been talking of separating. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. He says, it's, it's, yeah. um, I think this is, is there's some complications. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, I just feel like sometimes I'm hurting myself by yeah. continuing to engage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would, I would do some experiments. I mean, that's what comes to me. Yeah. I, I imagine if we, if we had another hour, we would have a tremendous guidance from this group. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, maybe people have been in some in the exact same situation or something very yeah. similar. Um, yeah. But I'll, I'll just you know I'm I don't claim to be the fountain of wisdom on this topic, but I'll I'll just say what occurs to me. I would experiment some. You can experiment some with. Uh, um, having some distance, you know, for periods of time, you could, I think it's important to, you know, tune in with your mindfulness practice and your compassion practice towards whatever you're experiencing. And notice that I think what, uh, I think what, what would be probably problematic would be having a lot of energy go into something where there's not really any possibility. Yes. Right. And, taking your energy away from real possibilities. So, uh, so if you decide that it's, this isn't really possible and the connection just has this energy be activated, then probably is skillful to, to take a break some, like you, like you were saying, maybe the, the bonds haven't been fully dissolved. Yeah. Does, does that resonate a little bit? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. It's a, uh, and, and again, maybe uh, in light of what we're exploring to do something, you could do an empathy map uh, in relation to both yourself and the, the other person in the situation. That could be helpful. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Thank, thank you so much for being willing to share that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah.
So let's go to finish and uh, towards finishing. And thank you everyone for your fullness of really participating. Uh, we'll have uh, the recording of the session. Will be on Dharmacy, just the audio. Um, and if there's any question about anyone who shared anything, please please let us know. Uh, shared anything in the discussion. Generally, I, I put those up, but you're, uh, uh, if there's a question, just let us know. We, it is possible to do some editing. Uh, so let's invite what is may have been helpful from our time today, perhaps from the theme of empathy or the ethical guidelines, wise speech bringing our relational lives into the field of practice. It's been helpful or resonant and any intentions we have coming out of today. The insights may have been occurring during the meditation or maybe not even directly related to our themes. That's possible. And then we close by the dedication of merit. May the fruits of our time together benefit us, benefit those in our lives, and then go beyond those circles to reach all beings. May our morning, afternoon, evening benefit all beings, knowing that that includes us. So thanks everyone. And we can unmute yourself. I Thank mentioned you so this. Can you. unmute you, yourself Gabby. and say goodbye, however you'd like. Bye. Say hi, goodbye. Bye. This is my hi. Thank you. Thank maybe you. my favorite time of the morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone. Thank you. Please Thank continue. You. Thanks. <laughs> nice to see people from Chicago. Mm -hmm. Bye, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> okay, to be continued. Okay. Bye bye. So insightful. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye bye, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Donald. It's incredible. It's such a gift. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.